jasoncharles.net. Deep talk, deep sounds. The Manhattan Millennial Book Review with host Anuja Jaswal on jasoncharles.net. Hi, everyone. This is Anuja Jaswal, your host of the Manhattan Millennial Book Review here on jasoncharles.net arts and culture shows. On this episode, I will be reviewing Homegoing by Yaj Yassi. I hope that you all are doing well. Jason and I are still recording remotely, so if you hear any differences in audio, that might be why. But without further ado, Homegoing. So a friend of mine gave this to me for my birthday last year. This book was published in 2016. I read it earlier this year. It's a work of historical fiction written by the Ghanaian-American author Ya Jiasi. Here's a little bit of background. Each chapter portrays the life of a different descendant of the Asante woman, Mame. It begins with two half-sisters, Effia and Essie, who had wildly different fates. The former marries a British governor, whilst the latter was sold into slavery. It's a very ambitious structure. It's difficult to sustain a novel-length narrative when you meet each character for only a chapter, but Jossie's use of specific imagery and motifs in her syntax bolsters her depiction of greater themes, like identity, colonialism, and race. As I said earlier, Yajiasi's narrative has extraordinary breadth. For me, one of the central questions in my mind throughout the novel was, how do you depict colonialism? There's many ways to think about this, land distribution, money, resources, and Yajiasi touches on several. But I think overall, she chooses family. Or rather, she uses disrupted connections between generations to show how colonialism poisons things like memory and heritage. I could spend a long time explaining what I mean by that, but it probably makes most sense to move to an incredibly truncated series of quotes from the novel that will make my point for me. Let me start with James, who grows up in Ghana, or what is now modern day Ghana, rather. And this is his view on the many conflicts in the region since he was a little boy. James knew the British had been inciting tribal wars for years, knowing that whatever captives were taken from these wars would be sold to them for trade. His mother always said the Gold Coast was like a pot of groundnut soup. Her people, the Asantes, were the broth. And his father's people, the Fantes, were the groundnuts. And the many other nations that began at the edge of the Atlantic and moved up through the bushland into the north made up the meat and the pepper and vegetables. This pot was already full to the brim before the white men came and added fire. Now it was all the Gold Coast people could do to keep from boiling over and over again and again and again. This culturally specific metaphor helps readers visualize the situation, regardless of what their existing knowledge is of the conflict in that region. And you can really feel the urgency of what's going on there. Not all of us understand these specific conflicts, but we all know like the panic of a pot about to boil over, which is what makes it so effective. This is from the chapter about Kojo, who was a child born in slavery. He never met his parents. He was taken by one of their friends and grew up free. This is him struggling with fatherhood. Being a good father felt like a debt Joe owed to his parents, who couldn't get free. He used to spend many nights trying to conjure up an image of his own father. Was he brave, tall, kind, smart? Was he a good and fair man? What kind of father would he have been if he'd ever gotten the chance to be a father? Free. 
this whole quote hits fairly hard, but I'd say the last sentence in particular directly connects the ability to be a father to freedom. And you really feel that absence in Kojo. I think in these few sentences, Yajazi conveys a whole, a whole slew of emotions, this almost survivor's guilt at how he gets to leave, live a free life and his parents who he never knew, never really did. It also depicts very relatable feelings to new fathers, I feel. I think that a lot of people, when they have a child for the first time, draw on the example of their own parents. And because he never met his father, that's understandably difficult for him to do. And then there's also the deep absence that he feels, the complete lack of knowledge that he has about this person. The next quote is from the chapter about Yaw, who for context was badly burned in a fire in his village as a child. And he sort of moves and he pursues a life of academia. He doesn't know the story behind the fire. He doesn't really know anything about his mother or his father because he left when he was very young. So there's this real mystery that he struggles with. The longer he looked at himself in a mirror, longer he lived alone, the longer the country he loved stayed under colonial rule, the angrier he became. And the nebulous, mysterious object of his anger was his mother, a woman whose face he could barely remember, but a face reflected in his own scar. Yajasi juxtaposes Yaw's frustration at his reflection and his life and the state of his country. And it all coalesces in this anger for his absent mother who lives behind a scar and a story he doesn't know. The final quote I want to refer to is from the chapter about Marcus, which also happens to be the last chapter in the novel. And it's about his struggles as a graduate student to land on a thesis topic, which is something I'm sure a lot of people relate to. I think Marx's monologue as he sits in his library and tries to figure out the many directions his thesis could go in is Yajasi's amazing attempt to capture the ongoing legacy of colonialism and how it's shaped his present in ways that he can't even express. How could he talk about great grandpa H's story without also talking about his grandma Willie and the millions of other people who migrated north fleeing Jim Crow? And if he mentioned the Great Migration, he'd have to talk about the cities that took that flock in. He'd have to talk about Harlem. And how could he talk about Harlem without mentioning his father's heroin addiction, the stints in prison, the criminal record? And if he was going to talk about heroin in Harlem in the 60s, wouldn't he also have to talk about crack everywhere in the 80s? And if he wrote about crack, he'd inevitably be writing, too, about the war on drugs. And if he started talking about the war on drugs, he'd be talking about how nearly half Black men he grew up with were on their way either into or out of what had become the harshest prison system in the world. And if he talked about why friends in his hood were doing five-year bids for possession of marijuana, when nearly all the white people he'd gone to college with smoked it openly every day, he'd get so angry that he'd slam the research book on the table of the beautiful but deadly silent lane reading room of Green Library of Stanford University. And if he slammed the book down, then everyone in the room would stare and all they would see would be his skin and his anger. And they'd think they knew something about him. And it would be the same something that had justified putting his great grandpa H in prison. Only it would be different too, less obvious than it once was. I was speechless when I first read this. I think Jossie so beautifully captures the struggle of wanting to write something about your family and realizing your entire history is inextricable from a system of discrimination. She evokes all that pain and injustice and how it infiltrates his attempt to memorialize his heritage. I truly think, I think this entire book 
is an amazing exercise in depicting colonialism, but it was specifically that final quote that stayed with me the longest. One final thing. I know I've spent a lot of time praising the structure of this novel and saying how inventive and unique it is. I'm aware that there are other novels out there that have used multiple narrators that highlight the same principle of telling stories across time and generations. However, I think the thing that makes this novel and this particular iteration of using narrators across generations so special is the specific cultural context that Yajasi brings to it. And also her commitment to make each character so wholly themselves that their story could stand alone. And there were moments when I would finish a chapter and I would think, no, I can't believe I'm done with that. I want to hear more about Kojo or I want to stay with Marcus and see how his story ends up. But, you know, we're swiftly moving forward many decades into the future. But she really balances her characters being fully formed with this greater connection to a larger narrative. As someone who knew very little about the history of Ghana and Bursin and the migration of people from that part of the world to America prior to reading this novel, I felt like that background to it was a really strong piece. And I felt like despite not having any of that knowledge before coming into this world, I was still able to really engage with it and get the sense of how this bigger story played out. So it's a mixture of the thing that I said about how her characters are fully formed and yet still fit into this greater narrative. And then it was also like this cultural context that despite knowing nothing about the cultural context, I still got involved and was able to see the connections that she was drawing. Ultimately, this was a great birthday present. My friend knows me very well. Somehow, Yajiasi writes 14 compelling narratives from characters separated by swaths of distance and time, but weaves them all together in a greater framework that leaves you feeling like you've experienced a dynastic level story in only 300 pages. I have never read a book that made me feel like this. You should definitely give it a try. On the next episode, I will be reviewing The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn by Mark Twain. I know it's a staple to many, but I didn't grow up in the States, so maybe I can avoid the high school cliches. Until next time, this is Anuja Jesswal for the Manhattan Millennial Book Review. Feel free to send me your comments, questions, and suggestions. DM me on Instagram at ajesswall1997. Stay safe. You've been listening to the Manhattan Millennial Book Review with host Anuja Jaswal on jasoncharles.net. For more information about Anuja Jaswal, check out her Instagram at anujajaswal1997, spelled A-N-U-J-A-J-A-I-S-W-A-L-1997. jasoncharles.net Deep talk, deep sounds. That was so deep.